Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, timeless investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding Podcast, sitting alongside Mr. Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going great, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. Hey, if you're listening to us on the podcast app and you like the work we're doing, you want to support Jeff and myself, a rating and review goes a very long way. We have over 140 different podcasts now, and we've changed the schedule to Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So we're still here. We're pumping out content, having a lot of fun doing it. Um, if you want to support the cause, definitely leave us a rating and review. If you are over on the YouTube side of things, and again, you want to um, follow along with us, make sure you hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up. Um, and then, of course, if you want, leave a comment and we'll do our best to get back to you. Uh, so in today's podcast, we are going to be continuing with our five stocks in five minutes. But this time, we're going to be calling it the Joel Greenblatt edition. Okay. So I went on Magical Formula um, Investing uh, dot com and I pulled just five random stocks. Uh, we could go over it. Um, we are using QuickFS and we could just chat about it and kind of see where it, it goes. Probably a lot of these companies aren't overlooked, I would imagine, um, but they did come from Magical Formula Investing, which of course um, you know comes from Joel Greenblatt's book. Uh, you could be a stock, or no, now you could be a stock market genius. The little book that beats the market, um, where he takes high return invested capital companies and compares that to their earnings yield, um, which is. EBIT divided by the enterprise value. So that's what he does. So the first stock we're going to be going over is TravelZoo, ticker TZOO. It's got a market cap of $130 million, currently trading at 18 times earnings. EBIT sales is 0.9. So again, flip that uh, decimal point one to the right. Um, and we want to see them have an EBIT margin of somewhere in 9%. And it looks like they have the 10-year median margins on EBIT. It's actually 9.5. Um, uh, revenue, 10-year CAGR, 3.3%. Currently trading trading um, uh, 22 times EV to free cash flow, um, and revenue's gone from $94 million in 2009 to $111 million in 2008. So it looks like, uh, you know, kind of slow growth. But what's interesting is looking at the 10-year median returns on the return on equity, uh, which is at 34%, and looks pretty predictable, um, except for 2013. So I definitely would be curious to see what happened in 2013. But any thoughts on the company? Are you familiar with this? What are your, you know, general I'm thoughts? I'm not familiar with this company. Um, I don't know from looking at this could be a company that has extremely low um, invested capital because looking at this, it's possible actually that their invested capital was sometimes negative. So I don't know if that means they have float or what's going on there, but just the way that we look at this with quick FS, it's sometimes giving a positive return on equity at the same time that it's giving a negative uh, return on invested capital, I think, which might mean that they have cash balances and that actually they have little or no invested capital in the business, which is okay, but that's something the magic formula might capture sometimes as having an incredibly high return on invested capital. Yeah. When it may be that it just doesn't have, uh, doesn't require much of any capital in the business, which is okay, except if it's not growing, it doesn't really matter. And the company shrunk over the last five years by yeah. quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So that's not really helpful. A shrinking, I mean, we did a whole podcast where we talked about that, but return on capital really doesn't matter if you're shrinking. It's only useful if you're growing. Um, so, 
I, I don't, I mean, so there's no real value in that. It's just a way the magic formula works that it calculates that. Um, it's not a growth thing. The magic formula doesn't think about growth. So I don't know that you would want to invest in a company that's shrinking and that doesn't really require invested capital. This is a thing with the magic formula. Do you have a business description for this company? Yeah, that's what I'm going to pull up right now. For um, you. I mean, not to get into this, but people have asked before. Magic formula is not one of my favorite. Travels who provides travel, entertainment, and local deals from travel and entertainment companies and local businesses in Asia, Europe, and North America. Its publications and products include Travels Who website, Travels Who iPhone and Android apps, Travels Who top 20 email newsletters, and News Flash email alert service. Yeah, it just sounds like something that doesn't require capital to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, that's not really that interesting if something doesn't require capital unless it has some sort of kind of advantage, some mm-hmm. growth, yeah, things like that, which I don't think the magic formula really tells you it does. The problem with the magic formula is in let, when you look at it, you want a companies that have a moat of some sort, and the magic formula sort of just measures if they have really high returns on capital. Yeah. But other companies might be able to do that. There might be too much competition. So I think in a lot of cases, magic formula is just giving you a stock that requires almost no capital, right? And that's fine, but it doesn't necessarily mean if it's a successful business or not. Can't you make the argument that it could be a good business because it is able to, I guess, operate on no capital and able yeah. to generate strong returns? Oh, it tells you the product economics are excellent. Yes, but it's but just it like just the durability you, of it and everything. It doesn't everything. tell you if it's durable. It doesn't tell yep. you if it's growing versus other companies. It doesn't tell you any of that. Having a high return on invested capital when you have almost no capital, I don't think is any sort of indication of a moat. A lot of people say that like a high return on capital is an indication of a moat, and I just don't think that's true. Yeah, a moat is the qualities that allow you to yeah, earn I mean, that high return on capital. Yeah, I mean, if we look at this, there's just little increase in sales. I mean, it did increase for a while, and then it decreased. But in terms of like, we don't know that more and more assets have been put into this. So uh, yes, I would say that if you have very high returns on capital while putting in additional capital all the time, that is an indication of some sort of moat or something. Because if you've 10, 20 years, you've been putting more and more capital into business and keeps having high returns, well, other people would be trying to do the same thing. But if it's just something that it just doesn't have high uh, capital needs, and I think it's just a very capital light business, and that's why it's capturing it. I just don't have any way to evaluate this company. Sure. Yeah. Got it. All right. Next company, Corn Ferry, ticker KFY, not to be confused with KFC, uh, just for a place to eat. Um, market cap, $2.1 billion, PE 11 times. Uh, it's currently trading EV to sales of 1.0, um, and the 10-year median margins for EBITs at 8.3. Uh, 10-year CAGR and revenue has gone from um, $600 million to $1.9 billion, which is 11% CAGR. And the return on equity numbers aren't that interesting. Um, 10-year median margin is 8.7%, but doesn't look too predictable. Um, this is the executive search firm? That's right. EV to free cash flow nine times. We could go get a business description. I don't remember if they also do compensation consulting or something like that, but I know they do executive search. Let's see. I was kidding. Jeff's favorite restaurant's not KFC. That's my favorite. Um, let's see. Together with subsidiaries, provides talent management solutions worldwide. It operates three segments, executive search, advisory, and RPO, recruitment process, outsourcing, and professional search. So like headhunting and stuff like that, mm-hmm. sounds like. Yeah, it looks a lot more interesting. Um, let's see. Uh, what do we have in terms? Let's see. What do we have in terms of the price? So uh, it's currently trading uh, <coughs> PE of 11 times. Beta is 1.8, 1.08, excuse mm-hmm. me. Um, EV to free cash flow is nine times so that's like what 11 to 12 percent free cash flow yield looks very reasonable on all the numbers i'm seeing here if those yeah numbers definitely are right price mm-hmm. to sales even EBITDA, all those sorts of things i don't know cyclically where we are in things like that but it's it's somewhat cyclical but not terribly cyclical based on the past numbers yeah um 
has growth over time. Uh, Again, it seems like a business, though, to your point of the magical formula, pulling numbers that don't need a lot of capital yeah. or pulling companies. This seems very much the same situation. Yeah. Uh, this looks more predictable. Yeah. Definitely. It looks a lot more predictable to me. Um, recognize the company. $2.1 uh, billion dollar market cap, so not incredibly huge. Yeah, it's not a bad industry. That's not huge, but for this industry, I think that's pretty big. Really? Yeah, I don't think that there are many executive search firms that are bigger what i off the top of my head i can't think of ones that are bigger than corn fairy um there probably are uh but yeah i mean sure i like it a lot better than that this is one i would follow up on sure yeah i wouldn't mind writing this up or something yeah got it he's interested folks okay next stock h&r block inc ticker hrb market cap 4.9 billion currently trading 11.6 times earnings ev to sales 1.8 Nine uh, and their ten-year median margins on EBIT is twenty-two point three percent, so very high. Ten-year uh, median margins on free cash flow fifteen point three. Um, it's currently trading about eleven times EV to free cash flow. Return on equity numbers look um, pretty strong. Um, looks like thirty-three percent ten-year median returns. Uh, that looks pretty stable, except for whatever happened in two thousand seventeen. Uh, Revenue has gone from three point seven billion in two thousand and ten uh, to about three billion in. 2019, mm -hmm. so that's a negative 2.7% CAGR, and free cash flow has a, a negative 6% CAGR as well for the past 10 years. Right, but there's been no decrease in gross profit during that time, even though there's a significant decrease in revenue. Yeah. And in terms of operating profit, also no real decrease. It's the same operating profit or yeah. higher than it was. Gross margin has actually gone up. Yeah. So I, I did look at this company in great depth over 10 years ago. I don't remember if it was closer to 13 years ago or something. Uh, like the original company, the brand, H&R Block, which is a leader in tax preparation stuff. Um but it started to do some other things, and some of those things were okay. So it's got big in tax refund things and stuff like that. But it also got big into some stuff that I really didn't like, which was um, like a mortgage-related thing, basically. And that may have harmed them in the financial crisis. I don't remember the details, but it looks like the company, it definitely looks like they disposed of something from these financial results, I would guess. Um, I'm, the core business might be shrinking, but the way those numbers look doesn't look right. So I wouldn't be surprised if the core business... Um, if they dispose of something in the early 2010s or something, if you just look at those numbers, that's mm -hmm. what it looks like to me. Yeah. Because um, <clears throat> it went from $3.7 billion in revenue in 2010 to 2.9 in 2011. Yeah, it's just durability risk stuff from here. Um, I think that there are some people that would use H&R Block all the time and stuff, and it's especially tied, to, I think, to tax refunds, why they would use them. Um, you know, obviously, from... Uh, I've used, like, TurboTax and stuff for a long time. I said yeah. many people, but that's been around for a very long time. Um... I would say this is something that over long periods of time has some risk. It just has too much risk in terms of competition from um, stuff that's software, web-related stuff, but also just anything that changes in terms of legal stuff. Sure. I think they some of these companies benefit from some uh, legal stuff about the tax. Meaning like as it becomes easier to do your taxes or like what are you talking about when you say that? Yeah. Um, so, Yeah. If, it, if the IRS made things easier than they already do, uh, that could be a risk, too. Um, but I do think there's a segment of the population that could continue to use things like H&R Block and stuff like that for a very long time. And I think it depends significantly on some tax refund stuff. So that's the other risk, a legislative risk about tax refunds. So, But not that that necessarily will ever change. But I just think uh, it's something that, personally, I would... 
I just wouldn't know enough about the future, so it's just a pass for me. Sure. Got it. Alrighty, our third stock of the day, DHI Group Inc. Ticker DHX. It currently has a market cap of 163 million, trading about 14 times earnings. EV to sales 1.1, 10 year median margins on EBIT uh, 15.7, which obviously we like to see. Um, let's see, 10 year CAGR of revenue is 0.4, going from 110 million in 2009 to 162 million in 2018. 10 year median returns for return on equity uh, is right around 11%. Um, and it looks like it's been kind of all over the board, um, it, but it's trading. 34 times EV to free cash flow. Yeah, I think there was some. Is this is this Dice? Uh, DHI Group. So if it is Dice, which it may not be, I might have the ticker wrong here. Um, it was written up a little bit on the site, not a full write up, but a write up. It just says DHI Group. Okay. Let's see what the uh, business description is. Provides data, insights, and employment connections through specialized yeah, services for technology. Yeah. yeah, a lot of these companies that yeah, it is nice. A lot of these companies that come up on Magical Formula, they're they're very much as you know, very similar. It seems mm -hmm. like I mean, the industry is staffing and employment services. So we're kind of now H and R Block's not like that, but just these very capital light type of companies. Yeah, um, you know, Beta is one point five eight. It is a micro cap. Um, yeah, no dividend, nothing. Do you know anything much about the company? Not a lot about the company. I just uh, read that right up. I know what they do in general. This one's a pass for me because of what it does. Um, it's just I don't like any of those sorts of sites and things like that from the past. I don't know that they're um, – I think feel like they may have had a stronger position a long time ago than they do today. And uh, I'm just not – Now, why, why is that? I'm just kind of curious. Earlier on when the internet was evolving in different yeah, ways. Yeah, it was like a newer have. thing and stuff. Yeah, I mean, these sorts of things can continue for a very long time, bringing in some money, to, because I think they don't cost, like, let's see, so their gross profit is up a little bit, Yep. okay, their revenue is up a little bit over that time, but in the last, what, five years, we're talking significantly down on both of them, it's been dropping uh, all the time, mm -hmm. basically, making less and less gross profit every year, um, operating profit is lower now than it was 10 years ago, and it's, like, a lot lower, Um Everything Pretty much about everything's it down. Is shrinking. Yeah. It just doesn't require capital to run. I mean, I think if it, it's the kind of business that there's no reason to ever. Um, I don't know that it would lose a lot of money ever. Yeah. I don't know that it would. I mean, it, but I just think that it's something that it, it, even if it had an eroding competitive position every year, would still be pumping out some free cash flow and stuff because it requires so little capital to run. And, you know, it, there's just a lot of. There's a lot of things on the internet like this. I, I'm just not interested in this. No. Got it. Already, our last stock from the day, Garrett Motion Inc., ticker uh, GTX. This was written up on Focus Compounding. <laughs> Jeff did remind me of that <laughs> before we um, did this podcast. Currently trading of a PE of 3.5 times. Um, this was a spinoff. From uh, Honeywell? From Honeywell. Yeah, Garrett Motion is tur turbochargers. So turbochargers for both um, cars, probably, and uh, I mean gasoline, mm -hmm. and also though for probably diesel. Diesel, I think, being the bigger yep. part of it. Motion designs, manufactures, and sells turbocharger and electric boosting technologies for light and commercial vehicles. Uh, I don't drive. I don't know a lot about cars and turbochargers. I know very little about diesel, and I know less about uh, diesel in Europe and stuff, and I think that that could be a significant part of their business. Sure. Um, I don't also remember this, if this spinoff had any um, 
I mean, I did look at this company, but uh, I don't just it. I just can't judge its long term future that way. It thinks that uh, turbochargers will get bigger and bigger over time. Uh, I mean, just that they'll uh, be used more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just an area that I I don't. Uh, you just wouldn't feel comfortable analyzing it, but you know you, what they do. Yeah, and they Mark- have a leading. They have kind of a leading position in what they do. They've been doing it for a very, very long time. It's just turbochargers haven't been a big thing in the industry, but they had been doing this uh, for a, the, like the technology and stuff that they've been doing has been for a very long time. They probably have customers that um, rely on them to do this, and uh, I'm not saying they have a bad position in the industry. Yeah, but it's just definitely a product that I, I don't know enough about. Sure. Yeah. Um, Not that I don't know enough about it. I would never get comfortable with it. I was going to say, would you never like want to even learn more about it? No, pass. Yeah, got it. Pass. And that has a market cap of 764 million. So one thing that Jeff and I, we've talked about, you know, that was the last stock that uh, we're going to go over today, but we've talked about how do you pass on ideas, but still make the process productive where even if you do pass on it, it was still time well spent yeah, to the point yeah. of being able to like say, okay, I'm not just going to look at it and then, you know, not soak up any information from it. But like in the future, even though you passed on this idea, it was still something that you could potentially draw from it. Maybe not, we don't need to use like this as Garrett Motion. Is Garrett it? Motion, obviously that didn't happen because I've yeah. read a write-ups of the stock. You're familiar I've with the companies. I read the 10K, mocked yeah. it up, I wrote stuff about it. Yeah. It just, I... Um, but for everybody listening, though, because you were familiar with Garrett Motion, but let's just say a different company in general. I mean, you still typically, like, do you go into the 10K and just read the business description mm-hmm. and then maybe check out the financials really quick and be like, eh, I don't think this is something that we'd be interested in, but, you know, I just learned a little bit about the business. Or do you typically read the 10K, even if it's, like, disgusting and gross and, you know, pretty much all along the way that you're not going to invest in it? What's your process with that? Because, obviously, we talk about reading 10Ks all the time once so I you become a better the, investor. Once I start reading the 10K, I'll finish reading the 10K. Yeah. Um, Garrett Motion, there was another spinoff uh, from Honeywell, uh, Residio Technologies, which I wrote up too. Residio, I think, is down as a stock. You can check it now. I think it's down even more. I don't know what's gone on with it recently. It has a lot of, um, you could say it has environmental uh, liabilities. It's actually a little bit more complicated than that. People think they have environmental liabilities, but yeah. actually um, they're just promising to pay Honeywell up to a certain amount for the environmental liabilities. Yeah, it looks like on Honeywell's balance sheet. It looks like... Uh if, assuming this data is right, that it spun off around twenty dollars mm-hmm. in change, and now it's at nine ninety. Yeah, but it has debt. Uh, you know, all of these spinoffs lately have been having debt. Uh, Residio would interest me a lot more. Got it. So a lot more than Garrett because I can observe things about Residio. I believe Residio owns ADI Distribution, which um, is a distribution thing for like security and fire and things like that for basically professionals install it in your house. Uh, and it's just a place that they go to and they get all the different uh, uh, things that they need there. And the Residio's big thing is that they're Honeywell home. So like there's a very good chance people listening to this. If you go look at your thermostat, it's a Honeywell thermostat. That'll actually be part of Residio in the future. Uh, there might be some like trade risks and things because I think Residio normally would uh, produce things in like Mexico and stuff sure. and sell them into the United States. Uh, but that's probably common for all their competitors too. I'd be a lot more interested in them than uh, than Garrett probably because they're a little bit more of a distribution type business and because they're tied into like the professionals. And so you could try to do scuttlebutt and figure out like what contractors and stuff and uh, people who do anything, whether it's HVAC things or whatever, think about it and why they might use it. Because at the end of the day, I don't think that really homeowners choose what to put in in terms of thermostats and things for most of the Yeah, you were saying it's probably more the contractors and stuff. Yeah. And I think that if there's a lot of technology that goes into it, whether, you know, it's Google and you know, whatever. Yeah, 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 and all those sorts of things. Eventually, it'll end up a lot of that stuff being sold through 
uh, this company or adopted by this company in some way, a lot of that stuff. And of course, if they incorporate some of those things, there's more stuff they can charge for on like a regular basis mm. from it. I just, if you want to see two companies and why I would be more interested in one than the other, not that I would buy it or something, but just reading the business description, yeah. definitely Residio interests me a lot more. And the other thing is Residio has a significant amount of these um, payments that it's promised to make to Honeywell. And I have no idea if these uh, sites that Honeywell has that are polluted sites and things will uh, reduce the amount of the cash payout that they need to have. Uh -huh. But the way it's structured for Residio, if that does happen, there's an basically automatic escalation in their free cash flow or their EPS just you know every year for 10 years or more. That's a few percent if there's any reduction at all in this because they're capped. So it's already paying a certain amount and that amount is capped at like say they're paying 200 million or something to Honeywell now. What'll happen is that if uh, they, they don't pay Honeywell, if Honeywell ends up um, uh, actually owing less than that on these sites. So if these sites get cleaned up over time in a way that you don't have to put as much money into every single year, then Residio's sort of expenses will decline over time. Okay. But because of those liabilities, and I shouldn't say they're liabilities, they're not their liabilities, it's just a liability to pay Honeywell. Honeywell has the actual liability beyond that point. So like, there's no risk that if it turns out the liabilities are 10 times more or something, Honeywell still has that. But um, it just would be an automatic kind of improvement in their results. So their financial situation could get better over time. Uh, but I think from what I saw of the most recent quarter and stuff, it was very poor. And they talked a lot about cost cuts and things like that. So I don't know what is going on with the company. Lately, to be honest, I have not had any interest in spinoffs. And I think the quality of the spinoff yeah, that we've, talked that we've had in recent yeah. years has been extremely poor. And that's Why do true. you think that is? Uh, in some part, maybe because well, where we are in the cycle and stuff, the ease of having debt. Um, but I also think it's a large response to the interest of people in spinoffs, the willingness of investors to consider spinoffs, and companies can kind of take advantage of that fact. They probably get priced higher than they would have been in the past. A long time ago, people weren't really interested in spinoffs, and yeah. now it's like an area of attraction. Sure. So, yeah, I'd be more cautious about spinoffs now than I would have been 10 years ago or something. I think they've gotten too popular. Got it. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Mr. Jeff and myself. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up, leave us a comment. And of course, if you are watching on the podcast side of things or listening on the podcast side of things, a rating and review goes a long way. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us here today. We'll see you in the next podcast. Take care. Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to follow along.